Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome 
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to talk to our guest. We haven't had him on in a while. Mr. Jamie McKay, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm good. Good, good. It, dude, it has been a minute since we had you on, <laughs> which is kind of surprising because, like, you know, you come up in conversation a lot. We talk to you a good bit. And for some reason, I don't think we've had you on since, like, 2020. Is 2020. That right, Jacob? Yep. That we were just listening to that episode, but uh, Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Andrew, I'll give listeners a little heads up. If I start acting a little weird, Andrew made me one of the strongest margaritas I've ever had in my entire life, so apologize <laughs> about that ahead of time. But uh, no, doing great, doing Man. great. Um, so, Jamie, again, super excited to have you on. You've already killed a really big buck this year. I say really big buck. I think I heard you in another interview. You're like, oh, he's a good, he's a good deer, but uh, you killed a, a really great eight-point earlier in the season, um, but, you know, season's still off and running for us here in Alabama, and it's started and to get really, really good for a lot of us. And Jamie, I'm excited to have you back on. We actually went back and listened to that first episode we did with you the, where you were on just yourself because you were also on episode 200 as kind of a, another guest uh, where we had you, Michael Perry, and also Wes Moe on that episode, which, again, went really well. Um, but I, I'm really interested, after listening to our, our first episode we did with you, talking a, a lot more about the actual buck sign, deer sign. In that first episode we talked uh, with you, you mentioned a lot about your scouting efforts, you know, a little bit of summer scouting, postseason scouting, and, and kind of how you'll learn areas and implement trail cameras. But I'm really interested when you get into season and you actually see how the deer are actually using areas, how buck sign specifically will kind of dictate how you'll hunt some areas versus maybe bouncing to a different area, maybe by the lack of sign or maybe overabundance of sign. So, Really, Jamie, right now, kind of kicking us off, when we're into this point of the season, which, again, this episode will probably come out in a few weeks, but, you know, we're getting to this point of the season. It's kind of pre-rut for a lot of the area that you kind of hunt in. What exactly are you looking for that kind of tells you there's a mature buck in the area that you're actually hunting or scouting into? Well, right now, uh, just finding some really big rubs. When I say big rubs, I've located one. Uh, he's come back and hit trees that he hit last year. And uh, the one he hit this year, it, it, he struck it at my belly button. And uh, I finally went and put I, I put a camera in there last year wanting to get a picture of him and, and nothing because I actually went in late season and uh, actually shared a pen with somebody in there. And I thought, well, I'm going to slide over and just check it out. You know, last year was really tough. And I was bouncing around a lot just trying to find the uh, – uh, freshest sign I could and, and then hitting the old areas that I've taken bucks out of before and uh, went in there and man there's beech nut trees just shredded I ain't talking about barely hit or you see some people post where they just tine scratch he, he laid into it and laid shavings at the bottom and uh, so anyway I made one trip in there this year and he's hit that one tree so I went back and stuck a camera up just just to uh, see what's going on and uh, and then made one bow trip back in there and seen a, seen a spike based off of how bump deer coming out the year before thinking they might be using this one draw one particular draw leading down in this holler but uh, um, I really like finding the rubs that are mainly broke off that tells you he's actually got a decent rack or a licking branch, you know, that's fairly good size. It's broke out. Um, and one, one particular hunt I'd found some, man, it was like, um, hedge bushes 
And when they rub them and you find them fresh, they're green. So my first trip in there to hunt, I actually seen the one that was rubbing the hedge bushes. There's an eight point come in. Uh, man, his antlers base is just full of it. And I was like, well, there he is. That's probably the one working his holler. And uh, I let him go. It was three bucks come in together. And, and, and normally hunting some of the uh, big mountain terrain, I've always thought you'll never find that one particular tree they're feeding under. Well, when I went in, I found, I found just a very few busted acorns, but the, in, and with the drought we're having, the leaves are just pounded. I said, well, I don't know if hogs is coming to here or what, because there's no zero droppings, zero. So when I went in, I actually had one buck making a scrape in the dark that come through, and then them three come in. So I actually found a feed tree in the big mountains that I've never been able to just like stone upon and, and find this is a feed tree. So that was concentrating on it pretty hard. Now with the sign, you're talking about, you know, finding, first of all, rubs broken, uh, broken off. Now, sometimes we'll call some of these whip rubs, some of those rubs you find early seasons, the size of your thumb or something like that, that the top's broken out of. But how big are some of these trees or saplings that some of these bucks would rub where they're actually breaking the tops out? Uh, well, like you're saying, about, about the size of your thumb. And then if, if you find one the size of a quarter broke out, you know he's he's probably a big deer. I don't know if he's got a big rack, but he's going to be definitely a, a big body deer. But uh, this year, this is probably the least amount of cameras that I have ever put out. I don't think I put out uh i think i had five out this summer and that was it but i've got one two i got three out now and that is it but i have one really nice buck on one camera that it was a brand new area and i actually come in trying to hunt a, another deer uh that i've got history with for about three years now man he was a he was a real tank last year and with the weather we was having, it was uh, calling for misty rain, 70 degree weather. I said, I'm not walking an hour in to hunt. So I went somewhere else. Season was over. Well, I went and pulled this camera and I, very few pictures. And I was like, man, and I didn't delete them. I was going through them. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what a deer. I went to check in the dates and it was that day. I said, I'm not going in there. <laughs> <laughs> I say big, I'm saying 22, 20, 22 to 24 on the inside spread big. He has really blew up. But as far as this year, I ain't seen hide nor hair. So I'm hoping with the rut, with the trails that he's got in there, or, or he's run in the past, I'm hoping to run into it. And I've kind of stayed out of the area because one, the terrain ain't very bow huntable as uh, far as uh, you can get away with a lot with the winds, but for me, I really just don't feel like uh, there's probably one trail you probably go in there and bow hunt. And uh, but anyway, I try to stay out of that area. And and we, but anyway, yeah. And then there's one other deer I would try to hunt. Uh, now I felt like I could catch him on a ridge, and. Uh, I'd have done a 13 hour set with seeing nothing, but the, the, he's well worth sitting there waiting on. 
So let me ask you this, Jamie. So you, you mentioned kind of the importance of finding some of these rubs right now and kind of how that kind of key on areas. How do scrapes play a part as well in, in this, uh, I guess, game plans? So like, say you go into an area, you know, maybe it's one of these new areas you're just kind of hiking into for the first time or it's an area you have history with. If you start seeing some of those bigger scrapes popping up, you know, how do you take that in con- into consideration as well when it comes to hunting opportunity and how you may position, like, you know, is it every one of those things you'll, you'll focus on sitting on a scrape or are you trying to find travel corridors coming to and from these scrapes in these more mountainous areas? Uh, both. If it's early season, yeah, well, I'm out there bow hunting and they, and they open these scrapes up early, I'll try to set on them as close as I can because, you know, early morning or – Anyway, they could walk up at any time, late in the evening. Uh, but with our weather, early season, you know, at the last 15, 20 minutes before dark, if you can get tucked up by the uh, thickets, they liable slide out and work that straight and go back in. Um, uh, one of the areas that I've killed several deer in, you just don't find that many scrapes. I focus more on in that area trying to locate the doe groups. And when I say locate, uh, the one area I'd stumbled up on, well, I'd hunted it several times going higher up and I've always jumped deer on my way out. And I was like, man, I'm gonna take a hunt in here and just, I'm stopping right here on this bench and hunting. And uh, well, I stopped and hunted that bench for uh, one, two, Two days and should have, I, I still kick myself for not making the third day in there. Uh, the first day, uh, the wind swirled on me and missed opportunity on, on the on the nine point that's still three years later. This will be the fourth year now, I think, that he's still roaming. Uh, he come through. Then the next morning I went, and I had a lot of rut activity on that ridge that morning. Well, the next morning, and, and it seemed like, uh, our weather was really cool at night and warming up a lot during the day. And uh, they was seemed like they was chasing all during the night and then up to about, I don't know, 7.30 to 9 o'clock. That was when the last deer come through because I remember sitting on it that, that first day from daylight to dark. And after that activity, I had, uh, I think, a three-point come through at lunch and bedded up not far from me. And I was like, man, I really wish he would go on so I could actually eat my lunch. And finally, he got up and left, and I was able to get my backpack. And uh, I started to move locations, not out of the area, but a different tree. And I was like, well, no, I'm not, because every deer come through just then, today, I could have shot. If that, you know, I was trying, what cost me the nine point was, uh, I'm pretty picky. So as I'm looking at him through the scope, looking at his rack, his horns, and and when I could tell what deer it was, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill him. Well, the wind swirled. He went over a little knob, and, and the does had went down a little draw. And I was like, well, he's following them. I'm, I'm no worries. I'm going to shoot him right over here. Well, he stopped on that knob because that little slight breeze. And uh, went back in the next morning. Anyway, go back in the next morning. I could hear deer come up the ridge. And then about 7.30, about 7.30 or so, a doe would come around. And anyway, a big nine point rolled off the ridge and I ended up killing him, which is right there above the recliner. And then uh, 
further down in another location, I have a, I don't have a lot of concentration of those I found in there, but I've shot a couple bucks out of it. But the new location, not far from there, uh, I've done a hunt on it. I bow hunted one morning, no, one evening. I seen two does, two yearlings, and then went back and hunted it again on a morning hunt. Seen two, and I made a, and, and this is this is something I started trying out, playing a little bit with, because my buddies had a lot of good success with it. I'd made a mock scrape in there because I had several bucks in the summer coming down a draw. And what I'd done when I found it during turkey season, I said, I'm wanting to come back. I dropped a pan. And when I went back in and on that trail, I wanted to put my camera high, but it was so many trails coming around in that one location. I said, I got to put it down belly button high. That way I can catch all three trails that's coming out of a draw and swinging around the, the head of a bluff like. Once I seen that, I moved the camera because all the bucks seemed like was coming out of the draw. The does was coming around the top of the bluff. So I moved my camera in the draw just a little ways and the tree looked ideal for a scrape. It already had a limb hanging down. It's like, man, so I done a mock scrape. I just cleaned it out. I peed in it because I've had luck with bucks coming in during the rut working that. And uh, so I'd made a hunt in and I took Evercom in with me. I thought it on the licking branch and then had, to, I think Evercom makes maybe a bucking root. I don't know what it was. And I put it on the ground, scraped it back out, cleaned it. And uh, I grabbed my card out and was looking at it. And I was like, man, one of the bucks I had back in the summer was all the way over here. It's probably uh, half a mile or it might be a little better than that away. And this is a deer I didn't think I'd even have a, I just thought it'd be one of those summertime velvet bucks and I'll never see him again deal. Well, this dude has showed up on this random camera that's in the draw here. And I was like, oh man. So this is after I'd done, done the mock scrape again, put the Evercom. Well, the next morning, the way he come in and left in front of the camera, I was like, well, I'm not climbing back in this tree right here. I'm going to move over on the other side of this draw so I can, see what's going on a little bit better. And I think the wind for the next day <clears throat> wouldn't have been too good. So I got over there and and uh, I think it's about 7.30, I had two does come down and was feeding around. And the reason I picked that tree, it's a transition line on a, a, uh, uh, a cut area that's grown back up and it had several white oaks just right there. And I was like, man, this would be great to come out and feed on these white oaks and, and slide back in the thick. Well, that was my original thought when I went in bow hunting the first time. They walked the draw. I was like, man, this ain't even right. But undoubtedly, they had other acorn trees they wanted to go to that evening. But anyway, on this particular uh, hunt I went to a uh, week or so ago, them does was up there feeding around them trees, the white oaks on the transition line. One walked down to the scrape I'd done the day before. She's like, walk back up to the other does, like, hey, come here and check this out. Both of them come down, they smelt of it, smelt of the licking branch, eased back to the thicket. And I done an all day set and I didn't really see nothing the rest of the day. So I said, man, I'm going up there getting a tree I cleaned off the bow hunt. But, and what's funny is I've had 
couple small bucks walked right up by the camera, right by the tree I'd cleaned off. Like I picked out the trail that leads up into the thicket and uh, somehow, and uh, anyway, the next morning, this is what I was getting to about finding a new doe group. I seen nine does and one spike. I saw, I know where I'm going to be when the rut kicks off. And, uh, but I had one adult doe, she come down, went across the bottom, was up on the next ridge and undoubtedly the wind got over to her. She comes straight down to the mop scrape, smelt the licking branch, got in the scrape and, and worked her way up to me. So I thought, man, that's, that's really working well right now. Finding that doe group, I'm like really excited. Yeah, Jamie. So one thing that you mentioned kind of talking about that situation is, you know, sometimes you'll find where these doe groups are at that there's a lack of bucks on. Like you mentioned, you kill a couple bucks in a specific area that, you know, you really don't find at least or scrapes. You may, I guess you may find some rubs there, but you're not really finding scrapes there. Is that something, right. is that something that – you would tell somebody to like not overlook, like you don't necessarily have to have scrapes and rubs in a certain spot to tell you that, Hey, I can kill a mature buck here. But if you kind of lean a little bit closer where those does are at, maybe the bucks aren't laying down just a ton of sign, but you can kind of hunt those transition areas in between where the does are coming from, kind of maybe coming back from a feeding area, going back to a bedding area and you can catch a buck cruising through there. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you'll find your trails, travel corridors where the, uh, the does are already traveling. When it comes pre-rut and rut, them bucks is gonna be traveling the same trails because uh, uh, the one point that's coming up into the thicket, my thoughts was when I picked my tree, they're gonna come straight up that point, even though the trail wraps around the, uh, the I guess say the, the ridge above its bluff like, and uh, man, sure enough, it was three come up and then four went down that way I was like, man, that wide oak right out there on that end of that point is 30 yards from me. So uh, I'm definitely going to make some bow hunts in there. But, yeah. Uh, and sometimes I think when you find the the heavily concentrated area where uh, the does like to stay, it's say it's several does in there, I don't think he's got to make this abundance of scrapes to draw the does in. He knows where they're already at, so he ain't got to uh, draw them out or, or – lay a lot of scrapes to uh, pull a doe to him. Jamie, we originally had you on episode 193. That that was a, a while back. That was back in 2020. And in that one, we called it uh, Hunting Buck Trails with Jamie McCain. You've talked a lot about trails already in this podcast, but also you keep talking about concentrations of doe groups. And I, I, I don't think we've done it on this podcast, but definitely in the last podcast, we give a lot of context about the kind of place that you hunt. It's a lot of kind of big woods setting. And I'm, I'm really curious about uh, what are you focusing on to find concentrations of does? Like, what are you finding these deer really gravitating towards where you're finding that pocket of deer in a really big, vast area that overall is pretty low deer density? Well, a little bit of thicker areas. If you can find an area that looked like it would hold a deer, they're probably there. If you can find where timber's been cut and it's grown up or uh a pine thicket that you know you just can't really get in it's going to hold deer uh that's what i try to look at a lot is is a little bit thicker areas and then i don't mind uh i ain't saying wasting a day to go climb a tree where i think i might see deer or uh, have multiple trails coming through because uh 
you always hear everybody call it an observation hunt. And I don't mind doing an observation hunt because uh, that's going to help me a little bit later. And, and uh, like the new area, I've done one or two in there and didn't see nothing. But then there's some I've seen and then seen a bunch. So, uh, yeah, I don't mind wasting a day or giving up a day of, of hunting to scout. I'd rather give up a day of hunting to scout in order to put myself in a position that, you know, might get a shot on something. Where some, they just, you know, if I ain't sitting there with my rifle hunting, they're, they're not happy. Uh, what's a, do you have like a, an example of like when, when was the time you did an observation sit and, and what the scenario was? Uh, well, that's just like the 13 hour set I done on the one on the ridge. Uh, I was hoping to see some does cutting through. Uh, I did check that camera and I had one doe group of four come in and they fed all around it, which it's a red oak drop and there are several white oaks. And uh, the particular day I went in to hunt it, it was a, uh, it was gonna be a north uh, northwest wind. And what I had already picked out to hunt, I needed a, and predominantly, you know, we're gonna have a south wind for our early bow season. And man, for some reason, we was having all these north winds this year. So I had to circle the ridge and come in from a different direction because I didn't want to cross none of my trails going in. And once I got up there, I was like, man, I, uh, I know it's so finding out road beds on top of this ridge on coming down this point, but I don't know exactly. So uh, I finally just give up and cut because I was walking in through the moonlight and I didn't want to cut no light on, try to disturb nothing, but I had to, I was like, man, I can't take it. I had to see where I'm at and I cut that light on and it's like, well, I don't even see it still. So I said, this is as far as I'm going and, and cleaned the tree off, got up in it and man, it was a wide oak. I think it was 21 yards. And this is not far from a thicket. And uh, it was raining acres. I was like, oh man, he's gonna come out of this thicket, feed right under this wide oak. And uh, it didn't work out, but I was still uh, happy with the hunt because uh, what trees I found that was actually dropping in there. I think when I got down, I walked towards the thicket just to kind of see if I can see any kind of uh, tracks or any trails, because it was so dry. Uh, I asked my buddy, we went scouting, I said, man, what did you uh, see today as far as, because it was so dry. And uh, we talked for a minute and I said, I'll tell you what I was looking for, the crushed up leaves. And, and what's funny, if you'll look close enough, on some of the trails, or maybe it's a new area you're scouting, you'll see the crushed up leaves and you'll stare at it enough. You can see the trail. We kind of come through this area real slow. And uh, man, we picked up on a lot of trails that way. Uh, and whatever reason with dry weather, we're not finding the droppings this time on, on the ground, but, but yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned the thing about the crushed up leaves. Cause like, you know, we're both, we're not that far apart here in Alabama, but even down here where we're at, we're having really dry weather as well. And we were actually out this past weekend on a bow hunt and found the exact thing that you were talking about where 
it seems like all the leaves are like real lofty on the ground right now. Like they're real kind of mm -hmm. puffed up and extremely loud and crunchy. And we were easing into this area and you, you get into a spot where all of a sudden it was like a little bit quieter walking and you kind of get to looking at it and you notice that all the leaves around are just like a little bit crushed. And then you look even closer and then there you can see a trail or it might not right. even be like a small deer trail, but it might be a little bit wider where you can tell maybe like a couple does came through, but you can kind of start picking up on that stuff. And that, to me, that's like the definition of woodsmanship, being able to pick up on those smaller details and, and those minute things that make a difference. Uh, how much of that factors into just your your normal routine is you're, maybe you've got some deer on camera over the summer and you're trying to basically either relocate or stay on them right now and kind of hang with them throughout the season and hopefully get a shot at one. How much of those little details come into play a factor, you know, as opposed to the big obvious sign? Well, I, well, like Perry, you know, if I can find tracks, if I can, even on some of the grounds, which it's hard to do right now, it's so dry, but I have just raked the leaves back or on certain trails, I have tucked and raked the leaves back. That way, when they step over a log, they impress the ground. It may not be, you know, the marred up, but if I can see the hoof prints going both directions, I'm going to focus more on that trail. Uh, but yeah, I, the obvious stuff you hear a lot of people jabber right now on some of these groups where it's, man, they laying down these scrapes here, they're laying down and then this next person, I ain't seen those scrapes. Uh, I think a lot of people get, uh, too focused on the obvious, the rubs, the scrapes, uh, but yeah, I, you know, just walking and, and, and slow down just a little bit has helped out a lot. I used to cover a lot of ground, a lot. How much uh, of a factor do tracks play? I mean, you've mentioned a couple times trying to find uh, a track that's coming and going, but do you also use like the size of tracks, for instance, to try to key in on the target buck? Uh, no, not really, no, because depend on where you're looking at for tracks. If you're looking on uh, the creek beds and stuff, when it's, uh, say, damp, muddy, it's no different when I step in it, look back, I look like a heck of a man, maybe a Sasquatch, you know. And <laughs> the same thing with deer. If you look at that in the mud, you're thinking, and, and you see a lot post where take a picture of a hoof and, you know, if they're running, when they hit, they're going to mash down a little further and push out a little bit more. Uh, but I don't focus too much on that because I have killed uh, in my younger days some smaller bucks and, and tracking them up. You look at their hoof prints running across that creek and like, man, this might be a better deer than I think he was and get over there and it's uh, a four point. <laughs> <laughs> But it was one of the first buck roars I ever heard come through the woods, and man, I was tore slammed down. But back then, it was you know we didn't have no limits, so uh, it we was we was meat hunting. Jamie, uh, another thing that I'm interested in, I, I want to kind of look through and, and have you kind of think through the lens of somebody who doesn't have necessarily the experience, maybe on a specific property or just hunting experiences. You okay? 
And, you know, whether they're in a hunting club this year, they're on a, a little private lease, they get access to a private little, uh, you know, permission property, little farm they have, um, or they're hunting a piece of public land, whether it's something they've been hunting for the last couple of years or it's a brand new property they're stepping foot on. At this point in the season, and, and, and kind of taking maybe your area out of the equation a little bit, if someone's kind of hunting their way through this season, they're just trying to figure out in area, in season – what would you recommend for somebody in order to kind of pay attention to? I mean, of course, boots on the ground is going to be absolutely critical for them. But when it comes to, like, focusing on transition edges, you talked a lot about, like, kind of focusing on those transition areas and those trails close to that thick cover. What exactly would you tell somebody to kind of go and try to pay attention to in order to try to build some confidence going into this season that they can really use for next season as well? Mm-hmm. Well, as far as for next season, it would be uh, based off what you see this year or maybe, I mean, with the boots on the ground, uh, maybe some of the uh, rubs that's laid down for this year, go back to those areas next year. Uh, but for somebody just getting in a piece of property, uh, like I've done in the past in hunting clubs, the days that I know nobody's there because you go, you got to get them boots on the ground. Uh, when I know, when I go by the board and I know without a doubt nobody's there, I will cover that whole entire place in a day if I can. And uh, that means, you know, walk all your creeks out. You'll find all your crossings that way. Um, and the heavily cross spots, just pin them and go back and climb on them. Uh, one club I was in, I found a spot was pounded, you know, they was crossing and uh, I video two nine point over the years, uh, the couple of years I was in it, uh, video two nine points and I had a 10 I'd had on camera early season and uh, and it was right there during the rut and I'd went in, climbed the same tree I'd seen the two nine points out of the year before and uh, I'm sitting there and the wind whooping and I pulled a hood up over my toboggan. I was like, man, I just had some feeling. I just looked to my left and the 10 was standing there just looking around. And he'd broke one, past the brow time, broke the one side completely off. And I was like, well, you're getting a pass. I ain't shooting you. I'm not, even though it was toward the end of the year and I had maybe one or two tags or however you want to say it, we had two bucks left or uh, I just wasn't going to waste it. I thought, well, if I don't get in next year, somebody end up mounting that deer if they kill him. So I let him go and uh, seen several more deer in there, but uh, your creek crossings, um, and just like on some of your WMAs, no different than uh, uh, your hunting clubs. If you're on your forward or slow down and watch, look at all them little trails off to your side. You can pick up on a lot of crossings that, man, a lot of them when they're on their four-wheelers, they zip through and they drive right by them. And if it's one of them long stretches, you can set up right there on that road bed or just go down in timber little ways. And I found one little drainage that way on a club and it was several trails. And I let a good eight point right there go one year and uh, man, your four-wheelers and buggies go, uh, I would say I was climbing 
60 yards from the main little trail runs down through there. And uh, I had, and, I, and what was funny, I had deer walking down the trail that the buggies was riding in the mornings when, you know, nobody's disturbing nothing. Man, they'd go right down through there. And then far as some of your WMAs, I'll give you a past experience on this. We was going to a area way back, you know, it's several miles in there and we was hunting it pretty religious. You know, you get hooked on the area, you'll go back year after year. But on the way back, I, get, I kept noticing these tracks crossing the old log road. Well, it's more than log road, but that's what they drive in there to plant the field. The main road going into your food plots. And uh, well, finally, I think one year I looked off to the side as I was walking back or coming back and uh, I was going pretty deep into bow hunting too. And when I seen that good sized rub down on a cedar, I went to investigating that area out and found where trails was parallel on the ridge. And, and uh, then I got to focusing on those trails even more and uh, end up killing a, well, that 18 inch spread eight point off of it. And I uh, had a buddy miss opportunity on one. And, uh, but if it went for me folks, you know, not just, you know, it's a long hike in because back then I was a lot younger. You're looking at, <laughs> let's see, that'd be 23 years ago when I killed that 11 point. And man, it took without stopping, no stopping at all. It took 45 minutes. I'm talking about with a good pace. And the last time I pulled it, I think it took me a little over an hour to go in there. So instead of just making, trying to, you know, make my way back to the truck without, you know, observing as you're going, man, I never would have come up on that spot. But I found out it was a really good, uh, back then, uh, you would get a really good push off of certain certain hunts on that public. That would that was just cut right through that area. And once I found the trails, uh, man, I seen several. And I tell you what's funny, the tree I would climb uh, during the day because I'd make all day sets in there on that too. I'd say I could see orange caps going up down that roadbed. <laughs> Well, th there's a, it, it's funny you bring that up. You know, you hear about that from some guests uh, on our show talking about, especially in those, those areas where you have a, a gated access road. And specifically, you know, we can talk about this from a public land perspective. And that gated road goes for miles back. And, you know, whether guys, you know, riding a bicycle back in there, if they're allowed to do that, or they're just hiking in there, most guys are like, man, I'm going to walk me a mile plus back you know, you know, three quarters of a mile back, you know, a lot of people will do that because it's long straightaway and they may only get a couple hundred yards off the actual access path, uh, to hunt. But it's like a lot of people forget about that first 150 to 200 yards from the truck right there. And like in the situation you're talking about, like, it doesn't sound like that area was that close to the truck, but if you find those crossing tracks, you know, a lot closer than where you typically dive into, it might be worth checking some of those spots out. And we, we've had situations like that. There was a hunt last year. Me and Andrew went into an area um, on a uh, – and, and uh, a piece probably has got some clear cuts on it. And, you know, every time I'd walk into this spot behind this gated road or on this gate on this public, you'd always find big buck tracks, I mean, 75 yards from the truck crossing right there. Like every time. And there was no trees. You couldn't climb a tree right there. There's no trees to get in. 
And most people that walk down that road, they'd keep going way back, you know, because I observe hunters walking that area and they walk back to, you know, at least four or 500 yards, if not half, just over half a mile, maybe a little bit further back to go hunt. Now, I told Andrew on a hunt last year, I'm like, dude, I think we need to sit watching that little area right there. You know, we're getting plenty far enough off the road, but we're going to watch back towards the trucks and, and just see if we catch a buck slipping through there. And we did that. We sat probably maybe maybe 200 yards from the trucks, kind of watching back towards the trucks, and we could see back towards the vehicles. And uh, that morning, I, I, we didn't see, I didn't see a shooter, but we saw, I saw two nice bucks that morning. I mean, cross. One was bedded. 35 yards from the trucks and when our buddies walked back to the truck because me and Andrew sat to probably 1 o'clock uh in the afternoon our buddies walked back at 11 30 and when they got to their truck and they started talking and stuff and i can see them i can hear them but i'm not too worried because i'm like i'm sure if there's bucks in this area they're used to that a buck gets up from his bed not 35 yards from those trucks and starts slipping across the other side of this property and i text the guys it wasn't a shooter uh just a younger buck but i text the guys i'm like hey you just had a buck get up right next to y'all walked within 10 yards of him on the way back to the truck and he was 35 yards from them once they actually got to their truck and he got up slipped out and then i had another buck that morning early morning really pretty eight point uh come walking right towards me from the trucks and i have no idea where he came from because there's nothing else on the other side came walking from the trucks and got within 40 yards of me and just kind of you know eased on out of there and that that was a you know rut hunt um and it kind of opened my eyes a little bit more about you know if a lot of people want to go super deep Sometimes you can find some really good stuff, maybe a little bit closer. That's a little bit more overlooked because nobody's really paying attention. You know, they may know some tracks, yeah. but they're they're worried about I'm going far, I'm getting back in there, and it's kind of the opposite on a hunting club. Or I mean, it could be similar on a hunting club, but you know, if you have those access roads going through those hunting clubs, Andrew's hunting club's a great example. Yep. You know, you have a great road system going through it. Like you can take a truck through 95% of his property, uh, his hunting club. And guys do that. They'll drive all the way down. They'll park right next to a food plot, walk 30 yards to their stand, or walk 30 yards to their shooting house. Um, and you find all these great crossings on the main road system that nobody would ever think about, you know, either sitting on or just doing what you're talking about, slipping just into the woods, 56 yards to the woods, finding the head of a draw that comes up and kind of, you know, keying in on that area, catching those deer kind of, you know, paralleling the roads or crossing the roads coming into one of those spots. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't forget what year it was. It's uh, it was a big draw that uh, you could go way back on two different road beds, and I told my dad, uh, and I actually seen some deer coming up out of it. I said, "On that hunt, keep him from having to go so far." I said, "Won't you try it right in there?" And uh, man, he slid in there, and he said, "Man, right at daylight, he said it was a good deer coming up through there, and he didn't get him, but he was." He was sliding back up across the road and go to the other side where uh, that particular public land is on one side and uh, he's pretty much well home free on the other one. And, and over the years, I think they know that from the pressure. And he was just sliding out. Yeah. Well, it also, Jamie, it kind of goes back, you know, kind of getting back to, like, understanding your doe groups. And we've had other guys talk about doe groups. I mean, a great example is Michael Perry. Uh, we've talked to Michael a ton about this on past episodes. I gotta, we got to count how many times Michael Perry's been on this episode because I feel like he's been probably one of the most interviewed dudes on this episode, on this podcast. But, yep. Jamie, you know, you're a little bit different. You know, you ain't been on here very much. So, you know, we get to kind of ask you some some different questions, though. When it comes to like these doe groups, of course, trail cameras are a great, you know, option for finding your doe groups. Um, and we've had other guys talk about that kind of keying in instead of focusing on all this bucks on right now, you know, if the rut's still two, three, four weeks out from like, you know, the area they're hunting or maybe further, 
spending more time finding your doe groups may lend yourself to better opportunities come, you know, an actual rut hunt in that area, especially if you could take a firearm with you, or even if you are bow hunting. Um, you, you mentioned observation hunts are also a great uh, way to kind of figure out how does are using our area or if there are does in the area. Is there anything else you've done in order to kind of key in on does? I mean, is it one of those things that, you know, if you look at a map or something like that, you're like, there's probably does here. I mean, is it like a, a I guess a combination of like some thick cover, you know, probably some having, you know, some kind of water source at some point and potential some kind of feed source around there, whether it's browse or some mass crops. Is there anything like that, that you're like more than likely I'm probably going to find does in a habitat mix like that? I would say it's more of focuses on something thick that they can bed in. And if you can find the area that's got cover, food, water, I mean, it's all the combinations you need. Uh, a lot of it is just, you know, years of hunting in a certain area. Because I, I look at maps and try to pick out something, but uh, I guess after you get so, you know, I don't go out of state none and, and I only stick to certain WMAs. So I guess, um, I guess over the years I've just got used to it. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Well, Jamie, I know you get used to it, but one thing I want to kind of put you on the spot here. I want you to think way far back. I want to talk 20 plus years back, okay? What was some of those mistakes you made as a young hunter? Okay, you know, say back in your 20s when you were really trying to cut your teeth on a lot of this stuff and, and hunt hard. What, and, and you really go into your 30s too. What was some of those things that you look back at? You're like, man, that that really cost me back then. But you were able to learn from those mistakes to help you become a much more efficient whitetail hunter now. Oh, 
Well, I can tell you one thing, hunting them creek bottoms, on, I'm, this is my big public land, hunting creek bottoms on, on rifle hunts. Uh, I've not really had, when I, the only time I really feel like I can do good off of a creek bottom or a big bottom is maybe on the full moon nights. I feel like maybe want to be out lurking, checking scrapes. Uh, might even, you know, if it's a little bit warmer at night, he may be running a doe in there and, and as daylight or warms up during the day, he's going to work his way back up the points. And that's, that's about the only time I'll stick to a bottom. The rest of the time, I like getting up on the side of the ridges or uh, I guess what y'all call the military crest. Some of them trails that runs parallel, just uh, not the very top of the ridge, but right there, uh, especially if it's got thicker thicker tops, normally it's a trail runs parallel that thick stuff about 15, 20 yards. And I'll set up on it and, and far as staying down the creek bottoms, I don't hardly do it at all on any of the uh, gun hunts. Uh, now I'll do it with a, a bow because I feel like without the pressure, they're going, you know, they'll work, work the creek bottoms out. They might check a scrape, go down to where I'd be rubbing half the night, something like that, and then come up by you. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's cost me a lot when I was younger because I was, well, and focusing on, you know, everybody, the buck sign, the big scrapes, the big rubs and sitting on it. And you can sit there all day long and not see nothing when it's highly pressured days. And uh, there was one in particular time, it was me, my brother and brother-in-law, we went into a, a big bottom and man, it was just eat up with scrapes and rubs. And, and uh, we had shooting all around us. And after we got met back up, Actually, my brother father would come up the ridge right at. He said, "What'd you get today?" <laughs> Man, I ain't fired a shot. I ain't seen a deer. I said, "What'd you get?" He said, "I ain't fired a shot. I ain't seen a deer." And uh, I think our <laughs> brother-in-law, he had like a three hundred mag, and it was one echo down that bottom, which is, that had to be dove. And uh, we marked our way down to him at lunch. Man, I ain't seen a deer all day either. I like son of a. <laughs> that, really, that, that really got my attention hard then so I started focusing more up top looking for all the trails up there and uh, I'd left it was like man it was a hike coming out of there and it was bad on the way out we make it out and it's later in the evening you know it's like well I'm going to the house I said well I was, I'd bow hunted another area I'd found good buck sign on and several trails across the top of the ridge. I said, I'm going over and I don't think I'm going to take my stand in because I don't think I got time to climb. Well, man, this buck come over the ridge on his trail right there at dark, me sitting on the ground and I shot through some, uh, maybe buck favor was mixed in with some brush, but anyway, I didn't touch him. But yeah, that was one 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 major uh, I, excuse me eye opener for me on highly pressured days give up in creek bottoms. Now I'm not saying you can't kill a deer on high pressure days in them. You can, uh, but chances are it's far fewer in between, or it has been for me. 
Let me ask. I I, I know there's got to be some more mistakes here other than that. That's a really good one, though. I really like that tip. Well, what were some other ones that maybe played a factor for you? Maybe even, you know, looking through the lens of both gun hunting but also bow hunting that were some of those things that now you look back, you know, 20-plus years later and you're like, you know, that, that wasn't overly effective for me. Or maybe it was, but you had to, like, adjust what you were doing in order to make it more effective for you. Well, man, I, I don't know. I guess once I started focusing on the trails, I've learned that uh, – my chances are on that buck or a good buck or, or a particular buck just trying to find their travel routes because, you know, earlier, my younger years of bow hunting, uh, it was just trying to set on uh, the wide oaks or a food plot, a food source really, or trying to set over top of a scrape fairly close. And uh, it never did work out. Maybe I wouldn't hunt it in the, uh, right time frame maybe it is a little too late to be in there trying to set over them scrapes uh but uh now i like setting up over the uh trails just like the big eight point i killed um uh, this year um i was you know i don't mind bouncing around because i try to stay out of the rut areas that i've i've learned in the past and uh I was just bouncing around, and I, and at one day at lunch, I was like, "Man, I scouted that, and it it didn't dawn on me. It done been two years, done went past, and the way the trails come around, they pinch the deer down for you, and uh, it was an ideal spot. And uh, I said, "Man, I'm gonna go in there and give it a shot." And and I'd eat lunch really early that day, and uh, I'd slid in. And, and I bought one of the little XOP running gun setups this time. And uh, I hadn't went and climbed practice out in the yard and field. And, and, and I really didn't want to do it under a light flashlight for my first set. I was like, I'm taking it in today. And, and I was wanting to go in there and just take a quick look. And if it looked good, come back and get a stand. And, uh, man, I grabbed it. And I, I might have got 200 yards from the truck. I said, man. That's silly. So I went back, got all my stuff. I said, if it looks good, I'm climbing. If it don't, I might just come back out. When I got in there, it looked like it did the year I went in. Tracks all into dry sand or dirt or whatever in that old dry creek bed. I said, oh, yeah, I'm climbing here. And uh, all the trails, it seemed like once there's a trail, it's always a trail. It might be dim one year and it may open back up another. And I think it goes back to food source and, and, uh, but just going back and hunting that, you know, luck or not. I mean, a lot of luck was into it, but, uh, scouting it out, putting myself in the position, that's what, you know, uh, played a big part in it. And the wind was right. And with that, I, I want to, maybe kind of touch it slightly more on that deer um and also like access uh so that buck he came out of a thicket kind of working like a like working some trail systems coming down i'm guessing you had you know potential food sources maybe a little bit lower down in elevation he was trying to get to but you weren't necessarily sitting on a feed tree no i was just sitting the old dry creek is down below me and when i got up there i went to clicking my range finder looking and uh, I think uh, the closest spot I had to shoot was 20, 
21, 22 yards, maybe something like that. And then my next biggest opening was about 25. And then I think I had one a little bit further down and there was a trail that went right under the tree. And I was like, well, we'll see. And then that evening I had some does come out and the range finder I got, I bought this year because, you know, my brother shoots, uh, he went pro this year, so they stay up with the latest and greatest on range finders. And, man, I've been having to take my old Bushnell and I'd click them and, and skylight them to read my numbers. Well, Bushnell come out one this year. Uh, and it low light, it's red reticles in it. All your numbers are red. And then when it's bright, it's, it's black. And man, it's been a game changer. But anyway, uh, it's got a real good magnification on it. I'm actually using it for binos because I had some deer come out further down and I was trying to see what it was. I could look through it and I had four does come out and, and it was raining. After I got in there, it was raining acres and uh, all over really raining. But what was funny on the opposite side of that creek bank, it was several trees just raining acres. And uh, that evening, well, they was coming down. I thought, well, if they come on down this way, I'm gonna stick one of these does. And uh, they end up turning, going upside the ridge and going on out of sight. And I, like, and, and I, t I think I told somebody it was 4.30 when that deer come through. It might've been later than that. But anyway, I could hear one walking. And I know it was old log road bed on the side of that ridge. Uh, what's funny, I can't remember what I did probably yesterday, but I can tell you about hunts from, and scouting trips from many years back. And uh, I remember the old log road bed was up there and he was walking it when they come out, when I first seen him, boy, he's got some good beans and he's paralleling. Man, all of a sudden he turns and when he comes off the ridge and I can look down in that rack, I said, I'm gonna shoot this dude. And the only thing I can think of is them acorns was hitting and rolling down that bank. Apparently they were stopping right there at the edge. And when he come down, I all the places I ranged, he didn't come out. He was hugging the edge of the bank and I and started was feeding on acorns. Anyway, I'd shot and man, it sounded good, looked good. But I think I should have cut my I got a, a light on my adjustable sight that lights up my fiber optic. And I didn't have time for it. And shooting a few tournaments a year, I know I couldn't, you'll see the stem, but not the fiber optic where I, you know, yang from. But anyway, I'm sitting in the tree listening for this deer to fall. He didn't run 60, 70 yards if that far and stopped. So I'm doing my hunting show thing. I'm sitting up the tree listening. I didn't have my cameraman to tell him to be quiet or nothing. And I'm listening, listening. And I hear something, I look around the tree and this deer is walking toward me on my side of the ridge. And I said, I didn't even have an arrow knocked up. So I reach down, get another arrow. When I get it knocked up, the fletchings are turned wrong. So I'm turning the fletchings or turning the arrow on the string. And there happened to be another trail above me and I didn't know it was there. And the old scrape, I don't know if it's last year, maybe one had opened it up earlier in the year, but he was hitting a lick, he stopped, was hitting the licking branch. So I had to turn 180 because my lanyard on my safety harness 
And if I ain't eye level, I probably ain't a foot above this deer. And my whole thoughts, when I finally get turned around, this deer is going to be looking at me. And you make this eye contact, and he does a, and it's over with. But when I got turned, this deer was still in the licking branch. I was able to draw, turn my peep. Everything was great. And uh, I released, and this deer left out. And I never heard him crash. I thought, man, he run over to the next county. I climbed down, had trouble putting my sticks back together. And uh, when I was putting them together, and the reason I think it might have been a little bit later than 430, I had to cut my light on to help me get the sticks together, get the one arrow, go pull the other one. And I go back to the truck, call my brother, talking to him. And I said, man, I don't know why I rushed that shot because I was on his shoulder when I released. And uh, he said, well, if you end up punching the trigger and you hit him in the neck, a lot of orders, you may find him. I called my buddy and he said, I'm on my way. And that gave me plenty of time to let the deer lay because any deer that I shoot with a bow, if I don't see it fall inside or hear him crash, I like to give him a little time anyway with a bow. So we get back up there and find the deer. And uh, lo and behold, the first shot, and, and I'm gonna call it luck on this deer. Maybe maybe preparation was and meets opportunity on that, but that first shot went through his leg. And this deer only runs 60, 70 yards to stop and then come to me. I've missed deer with a bow, not touch them, and they didn't stop to the next county. So, <laughs> you know. I mean, I asked my buddy, I said, you know, I really did. I know he was cutting the leg and, and it was fresh blood on it. He said, oh, no, I can see the triangle cut through his leg. He punched right through it. And, I said, man, that there just was meant to be for me to kill him. And I ended up punching him through the neck. And I had to go make me another set in that tree. I went back and got in it. Because I, I had to find out where he was at, what he ranged, and he was 27 yards. So, man, I shot my bow with it, and it was set on 25. And only thing I can think of, I couldn't see the fiber optic to put it on him where I needed to be, and that's why I punched him in the leg. Left and right was great, and and punching him through the neck, I got down and was looking. And there's a few twigs in between me and him, even though he was under 20, under 20 yards where he was at when I shot him. Uh, it can get some deflection off the smallest stuff. Oh, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, I, I got a story about that from a couple of weeks ago. So. <laughs> yeah. Y'all go listen to a couple of outro. Yeah, two or three. About a month ago or so. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, well, Jamie, uh, to kind of – even get a little bit more in detail on some of this stuff. One thing I'm very curious with you, especially with this deer, but also just like in general, you talk about like you really like to hunt these military crests. You like to hunt that right where that ridge rolls off. You're kind of catching those paralleling trails to those ridges right below that thick cover. Do you like, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess you preferably like to come in from the bottoms typically, or do you ever come in from the tops as well, the top of the ridge and then drop back over? It depends on what's on the top. If it's real thick, no, if it's not thick, uh, I'm trying to think of, okay, there's one particular area I used to hunt. It was open up top. It was a thicket that they was running a, a trail coming out of on that crest like it. And it was more of a, uh, 
a pine thicket. So you wouldn't, I wasn't walking in nothing thick to get in there. So once I got about, I don't know, it's 60, 80 yards off of that thicket where I was setting up at and, and I would access it from the top. Uh, like the spot I hunted this year on the one deer, uh, all the thick stuff's up top. So I'm walking from the bottom coming up and trying not what trails that I do know there that's there. I try not to cross them. Not, not within, uh, uh, I would say right there where I'm trying to bow hunt them at. Uh, I'll loop a ridge if I have to and come up another drainage or something. Uh, but like the new spot over there, it just seemed like they traveling so much. Uh, I'm actually coming in, uh, coming in from the ridge top, dropping off in the draw and then sliding right up. And, and I was real leery about doing it cause I was afraid they was, would be bedding in the thick stuff right in there. So luckily the two times I think I've went in in the mornings, We've had this moonlight, so I didn't even have to run a light. So, uh, yeah, it all depends on the trail, the terrain, how I'm on access. And I try to access back the same way. Uh, I don't try to uh, take different routes out. Uh, now, if I'm not doing no good, I might take a different route out just to scout my way out somewhere if I'm not familiar with the place after a couple of tries. Uh, that way, if I can pick up on something new, maybe something I've missed, another piece of the puzzle, I might go a different route out. Also, Jamie, let me let me ask you this too. Like with these trails, you know, we talked earlier in this episode about, you know, buck sign specifically. Do you need to find any buck sign at all around any of these trail systems paralleling the top of these ridges uh, where all that thick cover's at? Or if it has the right trails and you know there's, say, does in the area, you'll still throw a sit at it or put some time into it just based off, you know, there's always an opportunity for a mature buck to come slipping through there. Yeah, I mean, it helps to have, if I can get one picture, you know, he'll liable, he'll, the rut will bring him back. Uh, just like the one deer that showed up on his camera on over, I was like, man, I'll never get to see him. But I thought, my thinking is, he, if he was in here in the summer when that rut hits, if all the stars align, me and him across paths again on these trails. Uh, and and some of the areas I've hunted, you might go down through there. And if it's uh, that one, you're lucky to find, I think it was two scrapes in that whole area that year. And, and I think the scrape goes back to the doe population. If it's a lot, and it's like hunting South Alabama, you get down there and some of the clubs or, or private lands I've hunted in the past, their population is so great. You won't even hardly find a scrape because they ain't got to do it. Uh, I don't mind. I'll set up and hunt in them areas. Jamie, I'm pretty curious when it comes to the trails, but also just where you're having these buck encounters, do you ever have, have you ever found them, uh, maybe favoring more aggressive, steeper terrain, or does it seem to matter? Or are you looking at more general areas? No, because I've, I've seen them on all of it. Benches, on side of a steep terrain, the trail. Uh, 
what's funny, you'll find, uh, which that one, it's, there's three trails on the side of that one ridge. So you can almost cover all three from one tree. So the odds right in there are really, really good. Or what I feel like is really, really good. You got that many trails, something's liable to travel through. And it, and I'm not having deer encounters every time I climb in there. Uh, it might take several sets for one to come through and it may not happen this year. Well, I've had some to come through that's, you know, just right there on it. I think I'll just let him go. And that's maybe, maybe as some of the hunters get older, like me, uh, I've, I've got to where I've got so picky. I've let uh, some deer go. Then I get thinking about it. It's like, man, you have just let 130-inch eight-point walk. You have lost your mind. <laughs> but I've actually, I've done that because of sometimes you, I don't know, you underestimate your deer when they come through. You're like, man, he ain't really that good. And then you go home and look at some of the ones you got on wall and you're like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> my brother had killed an eight point on his place that one particular year, man. And I measured him out at 130, dead on the nose. And I let an eight go that year. And, I, and that was like a month after. And I was like, oh, no. What have I let go? And, but, uh, is what it is. Jamie, outside of just your past experience in the areas that you hunt, because you've had success in a lot of these areas going on several years now, but outside of your experience, is there anything that, that you need to see on the ground that gives you the confidence to hunt a spot over and over again, even though you might not be seeing anything? And I, I think this is a like important question for a lot of listeners out there, because this is something I've struggled with in the past is actually bouncing around too much where sometimes a spot, it seems like, you know, we talk to guys like yourself, and it, and sometimes a spot just needs a little bit of time. You know, like you said earlier, you need to be a little bit patient, and you just got to throw a couple sits at it before it's going to happen. I mean, outside of your past history with these areas, is there anything on the ground that you have to see that says, okay, this is worth me burning three or four days on, you know, in this, you know, precious two weeks of, of really good rut action where I only have a couple gun days, you know, what is it that you see that gives you the confidence to do that? Uh, besides catching one on a camera, man, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> Got that sixth sense. <laughs> it's almost like that gut feeling or, uh, if I can just find that, I don't know if I got multiple trails in there, you just, I'll stay in there for a while with it. If I got multiple trails and I know the deer's there, uh, multiple tracks, um, I ain't gonna say just giant droppings or nothing like that. I mean, crap, I don't know. I guess getting older, being more patient than I was when I was younger, because man, I would pull up. And, and I, I say not maybe impatient like last year. Uh, now I got to bouncing around a lot because uh, the food source wasn't there last year. So I had to go, uh, I wanted to find the most recent sign and uh, the freshest sign. And man, I was just bouncing around and, and, and 
when I found what I liked, I give it a set, and uh, man, I let him. He ended up being a seven point. I let him go, and I don't forget how many hunts I'd done made by then. And boy, you talking about some regret set in after I let him go. I was like, man, because his crab don't end. He was a giant or a really good six. And uh, and the only thing drew me in there to eat, it was a really good trail coming around below a, a cutover. And it had, uh, I think I found, maybe three good scrapes running that trail and it was on the trail and I mean, it was no trouble. Uh, I guess after you hunt over the years walking terrain, if you find one scrape or trail, you kind of know which way to go, what level, how high to stay up to find the next scrape. And once you, you know, over the years learn that, I mean, you just, it ain't like just running through the woods and finding this, but you'll zigzag and pick up on it. So man, he's following this way. But anyway, that morning, he come right through doing the, you know, running his route, running it out loud. But um, I guess something like that would make me draw back on that. That particular area had several scrapes in there and I'd hunted, I'd actually went in there and scouted. Uh, I scouted, I think the week prior to that hunt. Uh, and another thing helps if you got a lot of vacation time, a lot of time off, you can give up a day of hunting, of maybe bow hunting or hunting, you know, other land. Uh, but I think that's what I'd done. I was on vacation during that time frame, and give up a day of hunting just to go scout. And I scouted all the way around that cutover and found some more scrapes around. Dropped a pin, told my buddy to go in there, and uh, he actually went further down that morning, caught a buck bedded. And uh, it didn't work out. I don't know if he hit something before he got to the book or what, but he didn't hit him. And I think I've got completely off your question. <laughs> Jamie, it's kind of almost a fault dangerous question, but maybe slightly, it's really slightly different. I, I want to know a little bit more about, you know, not all ridges are created equal, Okay. You know, you got some low ridges, you got high ridges, you got shorter ridges, you got super long ridges, you got ridges that are really straight, ridges that have a lot of bends to them with a lot of draws. When when you're talking about like these trail systems, do sometimes, you know, how often are some of these trails more towards the point to some of these ridges versus on like the main, like straight away or like the main portion of a ridge? And do you lean towards one over the other, preferably? Hmm. I prefer that one that's a little bit higher up, that right there on that, that I guess you say the military crest, because I've hunted a lot on some of the ridges, got multiple benches, and you'll have trails on one or two, but uh, that one area seemed like the second to the top, they would really like running it. And I actually climb on that bench and, uh, I was expecting them to run to the very top and they was running the trail I climbed on, but it worked out. Um, I prefer, you know, them right there on that military crest. Well, let me reword, uh, Jamie, let me reword the question because uh, that's not necessarily where I wanted to get. I'm talking more so about the ridge, not necessarily the trail, but what I'm saying is with the ridges, 
how these trails lay, we're talking that top third, you know, the military crest. How often are you hunting some of those trails that are at the end of these ridge points versus like further back up the ridge, as in like maybe two, three, four, five hundred yards from a ridge point? You know, do you prefer one over the other, one of those scenarios? Uh, I'm going to say I prefer more closer to a ridge point because a lot of times, uh, them deer come straight up that point and then veer off, either go one way or the other. And it's, uh, it's very seldom, and then I know they walk the drainages up the sides a lot of times, but I, if I'm going to be close, I'd rather be closer to a ridge point. That way you can either, I can see them coming up the point or when they cut and come around. Let me let me run a scenario by you, Jamie, because there's a spot that comes to my head on a piece of public that I'm very interested on. It says up just like you're talking about, thick cover on top of the ridge, you know, of course, you got creek drainage down below the ridge. Um, and in this area, on this area, you have like, you know, a long point, kind of like what you're talking about, kind of drops down towards the creek. But probably, oh, man, I'm going to just go off my head, say 400 yards from that ridge point, um, there is a portion of the ridge, and this is for the YouTube viewers, guys. You might want to go to YouTube so you can kind of see what I'm doing. Um, it makes almost a slight L bend in that ridge where the thick covers up on top and it makes like a slight L. Um, and in that slight L is like a little bowl that kind of like all funnels down towards the Creek. Is there an, any kind of scenario where you would like to sit one of those areas where you have not, it's not a hard 90 degree bend, but there's like a, a, a decent size L bend right there. Uh, higher on the ridge point, real close to that thick cover. Would you ever sit a spot like that if you found like the good trails kind of crossing across that L bend uh, up on high on the ridge? Probably. Yeah, because they'll walk it, that drainage up, and then they'll come up the point. Um, I would actually go in there and, and do a little bit closer scout and, and comb through it a little bit more, look for yet more not the obvious tracks. If I had to rake a few leaves back, uh, maybe find a bare spot on the ground. Cause it, it, you know, a lot of times you find that bare spot, you'll find that one track or look a little bit closer and you find the droppings. It, it, it'll tell the tale if they walking that drainage more or coming around that, that, uh, that trail that parallels the ridge or the point. But if you could, uh, depends on how far the point is from that drainage. If you could get in between, uh, crap, you're in the best of the both worlds, then if you can see it all. Jamie, this spot gets me very, very excited. Um, just because I know there's a lot of does in the area. There's a ton of does. Um, just based off tracks and everything I've seen in that area. Um, some bucks on, but it's been a little while since I've been back in there, and this is an area that – uh, at some point, we're going to have a, a gun opportunity on this place uh, coming up. And I'd be, based off what you're saying and kind of what I've heard in this conversation, this is like the first area that pops up in my, in my mind because you have very thick cover up on top. You have, you know, one of those long ridge points that kind of drops down towards the creek. Um, it's got everything in there that would set up really good for a buck kind of cruising that edge, that top third um, of that ridge line. And uh, that, again, just first thing that came to mind. Did you get any spots like that that's going to come to mind for you? Not off the top of my head. Really? 
Okay. So. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I'll think about it. Th- this spot it, again. If I go in there, we ki- I kill a buck in this spot. Jamie, you're getting all the credit. Okay. I'm just gonna <laughs> tell you right now. So <laughs> maybe it might feel tag number two in this spot because I just now after thinking about it, God, it is, it it sets up good. And it's a spot I've gone in there and we've scouted from more of the top of the ridge, kind of like walk the top of the ridge down, kind of the thick cover kind of splits a little bit, and. uh but I haven't been to the edge where it kind of drops off that military crest. But just based off the sound I found on, on the top of the ridge, I'm like, I, it's got to be good um, because it's like almost not impenetrable for a deer, but it's almost impenetrable for a hunter to go through this stuff, uh, this cover on right. top of this ridge line. And uh, just based off the, the doe tracks I found up there, I mean, it is just tore up with does. And I'm like, God, it, it, based off what you're saying, it sound, it, I think that area would produce probably a pretty good deer. Um also, let me ask you this. Uh, just one other question I've got. I know we've got a, probably a ton of other questions, but we'll, we'll kind of wrap up here in just a minute. Um, how does hunting pressure play a factor for you, by the way, especially like on like some gun hunts or stuff like that where you're clearly going to have more guys out there than, say, like a bow hunt on a piece of public land? How does, gun, how does that pressure, that gun pressure, affect your strategy, or does it not affect your strategy at all when you hunt these areas? Hmm. Over the years, you'll finally learn what areas people like to hunt, what they don't lean to. Uh, knock on wood, right now, in some of the areas, they don't affect it none. And then, and then there's a couple of places I kill deer at. I'm wanting to see them show up because it actually pushes the deer and funnels into me. It just all depends on some of the sign I see in the areas where I'm leaning more to, but right now they don't affect me none. Well, Jamie, uh, I think we'll wrap it up on that. I guess one of the last things I I want you to kind of give a piece of advice for a lot of listeners out there. Um, you know, guys that, you know, don't have the experience level that you have when it comes to killing mature bucks and hunting mature bucks. If a guy, you know, or if a listener of this podcast or a viewer of this podcast is going out and they're like, man, I want to kill, maybe it's their first mature buck ever this year, or maybe try to figure out how to become more consistent. What would you tell them to kind of focus on for this season? Not going to guarantee they're going to have any luck with it, but something they can build upon for years in the future, but something they can focus on for this year in order to start having some success. I'm going to say try not to get impatient. Uh, Don't give up too soon. Don't get starstruck on your cameras just because you're getting a particular buck on camera. Uh, it's great. It's great to get them in the summertime. It might be great to get them during hunting season, but don't just sit beside where you got that camera. Uh, he ain't going to always come back through, uh, the rut to take them different areas. Uh, man, I probably my bet and some of my, you know, would be, uh, man, run your camera. And then when it gets to season, Man, don't even check it. If you want to leave it in there and see what happens through the year, wait till the end of the year and check it. Because, uh, man, it's too many of them wants to sit right by that camera because he walked by it once. And uh, if nothing else, just check it at the end of the year. Do your in-season in scouting. If it ain't happening, uh, you might take a different, you know, Check your map out, see which way you want to go out. You might see something new that uh, since you've been going in this particular direction, uh, maybe it's a place you've been hunting for years and that's the way you go in, the way you go out. He may have done patterned you and moved over one holler and it might be just heat up with fresh sign. Uh, 
I guess that would be it. Uh, don't give up too soon on a spot and don't get straw struck on that camera because you've got that one good buck that you just love to get and you can't sleep at night because that's all you can think about. Uh, man, he ain't going to always walk by that camera. Go find your doe droops, find your most recent sign, uh, your most heavily traveled trails uh, for the rut, your doe groups, and, and uh, man, you ain't got to hunt every chance you get. Give up a day of hunting. I'd rather give up one day of hunting to get in a good day of scouting to give me more of an opportunity to put myself in the spot that I can take one at. I love it. Jamie, absolutely appreciate you coming on the podcast, brother. It's been a great time. And uh, again, like I say with a lot of people, but definitely we're going to have to have you back on at some point in the future. Hopefully it won't be three years from now. That, you know, <laughs> yep. you know, we, we don't 2026. Need, yeah, we don't need to wait quite that long, probably. But uh, Jamie, I give me enough time to watch hunting shows and learn what to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah absolutely well jamie appreciate you uh joining us on the podcast listeners thank y'all for listening and viewers appreciate you appreciate i can't talk see well tequila's weird off now but <laughs> i appreciate y'all for uh watching the podcast uh also heads up guys all the uh youtube viewers you can see this uh we've got our new blaze orange hats just came in the mail uh by the way michael perry our buddy michael perry uh one of jamie's buddies too uh he shot his state record muzzler buck with one of our hats so yeah he did unfortunately he just had the hat kind of turned up a little bit in this photo. <laughs> so I just tell everybody, if you, if you kill a good deer, pull that Make hat sure you down. pull that hat down. Yeah, so we can, you know, can see it's a Southern Outdoorsman hat. But appreciate everybody been, uh, purchasing hats. Of course, you can click down the show notes for all the new merchandise as well. But again, Jamie, thank you all for, uh, or Jamie, thank you for joining us. Listeners, thank you all for listening. Viewers, thank you all for watching. And we'll catch you all back on the next episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. And remember, y'all stay safe. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.